Goeiedag, goeie malo. Roto el pato de vestuario. Ja, interpretatie sempre negatieva. Sempre negatieva. Nunca positieva. Hello, welcome to Siempre Positivo with me, Sam Marsden. There was no Barcelona game this week due to the international break, but Barcelona players have been playing and scoring. Barca's women's team also had an impressive result in midweek. There's plenty of transfer rumours doing the rounds and President Joanne Laporta has started to wield the axe behind the scenes. To go through all that with me, as ever, are Rick Sharma and Tony Juanmarti. Rick, how are you doing this fine Monday? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. I feel very refreshed. I've just come back from a couple of days in Sitges. So a bit of beach, a bit of history, a bit of walking around the old town, a lot of nice food, and I'm ready for the pod. Tony not doing as well. He's had an accident and we're wishing him all our best, hoping he can get better soon. But luckily he is able to still still do the podcast. Yes, we had a problem, a little problem with the motorbike on Friday but uh, just uh, ankle sprain, but ready to talk uh, here about uh, Pedri and the La Roja win and other international games, of course, like you, like all missing again La Liga, because I don't know what about you, but I don't like this kind of uh, international games without uh, without Liga. I don't like it. No, I, I, I was looking forward to the international break because it's been non-stop at Barcelona. You know, if there's not been... I mean, there have been games, two games a week, but there's also been so much going on with the elections and stuff. But by the time we got to the international weekend, like I sort of enjoyed the week leading up to it, but by the time like the weekend, the weekend just feels a bit strange. Like you don't have the same Saturday or Sunday routines and you feel a little bit lost. So I am ready for, for club football to return. But Barca's players have been off continuing their good form. Martin Brathwaite scored for Denmark, Miralem Pjanic for, for Bosnia, Antoine Griezmann and Serginho Dest and Usman Dembele have also scored for, for United States and France respectively. Francisco Trincao scored for Portugal under-21s on Sunday night as they more or less knocked out A.D. Boothroyd's useless England under-21 side. Um, but I didn't really watch many of those games. I don't know if you two did. I sort of saw highlights and saw the goals and saw they were doing well. But the Spain games have been interesting because there's been... Plenty of Barcelona representation in, in those two games. Uh, just just touch on the under-21s first, because Oscar Mingueza made his his debut for the under-21s, which ended in a red card, an unjust red card, actually, because he didn't appear to do anything. He was sort of targeted by the Italian players. He sort of feigned a headbutt and then went down pretending he was hurt, but nothing seemed to happen, so Spain will appeal that. But just turning to the, the senior side, a debut for, for Pedri. Uh, he came on as a sub in the 1-1 draw against Greece and then he played the whole game as Spain left it late to beat Georgia 2-1. Tony, how did Pedri do? He looked made for, for this Spain team, right? He's already sort of not just knocking on the door of the squad, but knocking on the door of being a starter at the European Championships this summer. Well, uh, the journalists that we are used to follow Barcelona games and uh, writing on uh, Barcelona, we knew that uh, Pedri was going to be brilliant, even uh, if he was going to play for first time with uh, La Roja. The problem is that uh, other journalists in Spain, they haven't uh, said anything on Pedri during the year after he did a brilliant uh, 90 minutes against uh, Georgia. So he played 40 games as brilliant performance. No one said anything on Madrid. Now he played one game 
brilliant against Georgia and now the Shea Pedri is a brilliant player. We knew that he was able to do what he did. And for me, it was surprising how he deal, how he deals with the, the fact that he needs to be the, the creator of the, of the football of the Luis Enrique squad. Because on the game against Georgia with 1-1 missing 10 minutes, the Spain, they said, okay, Pedri, take the ball. Always taking the ball, uh, trying to, to, to make uh, chances with Jordi Alba. With only 18 years old, this is this is incredible. I think what what he's doing, he's incredible. Yeah, I've got the list here of Bas of Barcelona of well, a lot of them are from Barcelona. Yeah, but of Spain's youngest players, and it came from I think it came from uh, it came from a Twitter account anyway. I sort of checked out, but three of them are sort of players that made their debuts for Spain like a hundred years ago. A guy called Pedro Reguero, a guy called Zubieta, and a guy called Guillermo Aizaguirre. But the other three in the top six, so Pedri became the sixth youngest player to play for Spain. The other, the third position is Ansu Fati, who was of course 17. Fifth is Bojan, who has obviously also played for Barcelona. And sixth is, is Pedri. But like you say, watching Pedri, there's almost like, Ansu is kind of like raw, sort of like, there is a youthfulness about him still. And there obviously was about Bojan, but Pedri, like the way he just slots into that, that Spain team and the maturity he shows is, is you know it belies his 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 age and I think Rick agrees and not just <laughs> there was some there was I saw Rick replying to some funny comments on Twitter actually about not just Pedri's sort of uh, uh, performances being sort of mature but also the, the way he looks and the way he acts like if you listen to his interviews like he interviews like a 28 year old pro who's like just supreme at dodging questions and giving the the routine football answer yeah I I think I think that's exactly the case he's just like seems like he's ready packaged top player already without needing to have any time at the top level to develop and mature. And I know he's still going to improve, but he just slots in so perfectly. And I think actually his interview after the Greece game was quite interesting because that was his debut on Thursday, came on, didn't have too long, didn't have didn't do too much either. I don't think he, he was particularly good against Greece, didn't do anything wrong either. But he, he didn't play that you know especially well. And Luis Enrique himself said that Pedri was man-marked, which shows you how much respect that Greece already have for Petri coming on, they're like, oh, we need to stick with this guy. We've seen what he's done this season. Maybe the Madrid journalists haven't, but we've seen what he's done, so we're going to mark him. But then Petri after the game was like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really do as much as I wanted to. You know, I found it quite hard to create a space. And he praised Brian Hill, who came on, and he was like, actually, Brian Hill did much more than me. He was the guy that was was causing damage down the left. So Petri, he knew that wasn't, you know, a great performance. But against Georgia, it was it was a different story. I think he was he was fantastic against Georgia. And he understood, Spain understood really, what how how Georgia were going to set up against them after Greece because Greece was super defensive, super tight, really hard to break down, and then Georgia just copied the same model. And Pedri was the only one who was who was playing passes that kind of unpicked Georgia's defense. There was a fantastic pass from the left. He tried to find Ferran Torres at the back post. Ferran messed up the the shot. It should have been one 0 to Spain uh, much earlier than it was, and I think. For me, Pedri should be starting for Spain. It seems ridiculous to say this. He's only 18. Like you say, he's the sixth youngest player for Spain. Whatever. doesn't matter. In the midfield, he's got to start. Yeah, Tony, what would you? What would your midfield be for Spain? Obviously, this is probably going to be a hint of bias, but it's hard because Luis Enrique makes so many changes. I can't really get to grips with with what he wants to play, who his, who his favoured midfield would be. Obviously, there's there's Busquets, there's Pedri, there's Thiago, there's there's Fabian, there's Mikel Marino, there's, I'm sure there's, there's loads. I could probably go on forever. You know, there's the, the Atletico, the Atletico lads, they've got a few Spanish midfielders. 
but yeah, I mean, the way Spain want to play and the way Spain traditionally have played, there's not many many of those players better suited to, to start when the European Championships come around than Pedri, is there? Wow, it's a really difficult question. Who is going to be a starter uh, on the midfield? Of course, as Rick said, for me, Pedri needs to be a starter. Uh, it's not about uh, how old is him. It's, it's about uh, how good is he playing. So, Luis Enrique, if it is something, is a coach that is not afraid of uh, trusting uh, young players. So, I'm pretty sure that if there is... No injury, Pedri will be starter on summer with uh, with uh, Luis Enrique on the on the on the Euro Cup. Apart from that, I don't know. For me, I like a lot uh, Marcos Llorente. I think uh, he's a player which uh, can do whatever you want, uh, whatever uh, you need uh, him to do. And apart from that, uh, Dani Olmo. I think that uh, Barcelona has been close to him a lot of times. He He's playing incredible uh, last month and I think uh, Dani Olmo is going to be also a starter. So apart from that, okay, yes, Busquets still uh, important player. I don't know, uh, the Spain squad is a, Spain, is a team with a lot of quality, but uh, the problem is I think uh, when you need to score goals, it's not uh, it's not the same because uh, you don't have uh, Fernando Torres, you don't have David Villa. So I think this squad, okay, they may have 90% of ball possession, but when you need to score goals like Dani Olmo last day with uh, this shot on the extra time, I think this is not uh, a good thing uh, for Luis Enrique's squad. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, that's why Pedri has to play, because he is somebody who can help break down these defences better than other midfielders can. I would. I mean, I think he's. You got to play Busquets if he's in the form he's shown since the turn of the year, and I think Luis Enrique is going to do that anyway. He loves Busquets, so Busquets, Pedri, and probably. And this isn't going on form. It's just going on how good we know he really is when he's at his best. Is Thiago? So I'd probably go, and he'd also. Yeah, I think he clicks well with with Busquets, and probably with Pedri will be the case too. So I think that for me would be the midfield, and as Tony says, the attack is the problem. There's no no reliable attackers. I mean, Dani Almo obviously is good. But I don't think he's, you know, the goal he scored was a bit lucky. It was terrible goalkeeping by the Georgia keeper to let in at the end. There's just no reliable players in attack for Spain. No, and, and apart from that, uh, Dani Olmo is not a striker. You could, you cannot count him as a striker. So, I don't know, apart from Gerard Moreno, I think uh, they are going to have uh, big problems when, when scoring goals. On Spain scoring goals, shout out for assist king Jordi Alba, technically claiming a couple of assists in that, in that Georgia win to continue his good form. He's been reborn in if not this season certainly since the turn of the year and especially now playing as a wing back so so good on you Jordi Alba uh, long may that continue um, and a couple of games for Eric Garcia uh, what did we see from Eric Garcia why do we think Luis Enrique played him twice is it because he, he he's his number one centre back obviously there's fitness issues with Sergio Ramos or was it simply a case of you know Eric Garcia has not been playing for Manchester City he's coming to Barcelona in the summer here you go lad have a have some minutes well, uh, uh, I don't know. Luis Enrique admitted that uh, he was going to take care of Sergio Ramos. Uh, it's true that Eric Garcia hasn't played for Manchester City, but I have to admit, I don't know what's your opinion, but I have to admit that on the last month I said take care with Eric Garcia. He's not going to be the new Piquet as easily as people say. But I think his performance against Georgia was 
outstanding, incredible. So I got really surprised with Eric Garcia. I I, I didn't think that he was going to have uh, that level that he showed. Yeah, I, I I agree. He was he was very good against against Georgia. I mean, the caveat to that is that it was Georgia, right? I mean, Georgia and it was Greece and it will be Kosovo in the next Spain game. When is that? Wednesday? I think it's Wednesday. And you know, so it's not the necessarily the best level to see how good he's going to be against and you know against top defenses. I think Luis Enrique does like him though. I think it's a case of keeping Ramos as fit as possible, and he didn't seem to, he had seemed to have a knock, so you know there's there's that issue, and the fact that Eric Garcia hasn't played this season, give him some minutes, not not just because he's going to Barca, but because if Luis Enrique does need to rely on him in the Euros, at least he'll have played some games if if Lucho gives him the time now. Let's see against. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, difficult example. Yeah, that's the, it's Spain's first game, isn't it? Uh, Spain-Sweden in the Euros. Right, let's just turn our attention back to, to Barcelona, to the women's team quickly, because they, they did play in, in midweek, so we just wanted to talk briefly about that. They beat Manchester City 3-0 in the Champions League. That should be them in the semi-final, right, Rick? Well, you have to assume so. They absolutely... I, I, I got the... Ca- I've got to say here, I have watched very few of the women's games in the history of my time in Barcelona. I've seen, I've seen some. I saw some in the in the last season, and this this was the first one I've seen this season. But they absolutely dominated Man City in that in that game, and I was really surprised by it because for the first time watching them, I've been really like enthralled by their the football. Like it was it was really 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 good football. But I think Sam, you're probably better placed. You've seen more matches to talk about. The, the women's team and how far they can go are can they cope with playing a team like Lyon because for me I went to the women's Champions League final in 2013 I think and it was Lyon winning then Lyon and Wolfsburg have been dominating it ever since basically so are Barca at that level yet I think it's really hard to answer that question of like well probably a little bit further along my my development with the women's game than you but they were obviously well beaten when they played Lyon in the final two years ago They've improved a lot domestically, but it's hard to hard to judge when they're having it so easily domestically. They've played 21 games in the league and they've won all 21. They've scored over 100 goals now. I think they're averaging sort of just under five goals a game in the league. There's no competition and they've conceded three. So then when you're not having competition in the week, it's obviously difficult when you go into a game with the demands that, that Leon would, would have. Um, I mean, they're probably going to play Leon in the semi-final if they beat Manchester City. But what... What I saw against Manchester City was, like you say, they absolutely battered Man City. I mean, they were probably lucky not to concede the Man City missed a penalty, but Barca could have scored four or five. It could have been sort of, you know, 4-1, 5-2. Um, and that's with, like, Lique Martins on the bench. Yeah, I mean, I think... And like, she's like one of... I don't think Lique Martins... I mean, the problem is they have sort of four or five really, really good attackers and they have sort of... I think Lique is quite... She's had a lot of fitness problems and I think she's sort of quite often on the bench at the moment with Caroline Graham Hansen sort of playing on the right and they prefer Mariona who scored the penalty sort of on the left coming in. Uh, obviously, Jenny Hermoso would start, but she was injured, but she came on and scored. So yeah, they've got a really good team. They should beat Manchester City now. They play the second leg on Wednesday. I mean, if they score one, just to put it into perspective, if they score one, Manchester City need to score five. And in all competitions, Barcelona have conceded five goals this season in... I don't even. I think it was twenty-one games in the league, and I think it's maybe five in the in the Champions League now. So, so in twenty-six games, so I think it's going to be very, very difficult. Yes, uh, but uh, it was also uh, very difficult in Anfield Road without uh, Mo Salah and uh, without Firmino, and Barcelona had a <laughs> huge defeat. So 
let's be calm because Manchester City, they had also good chances to score. But yes, I think uh, it's 90% uh, done. And for me, what was incredible is uh, Jennifer Hermoso, even if, he, if she was like a bit, st still a bit injured, she came on the pitch, he, she scored a goal on the first uh, ball uh, she, she played. Is, she's like the Lionel Messi of the, of the women. Top scorer for Barcelona and for Spain of all time. I criticised her, not, not in a joking way to Sam, because she's got like one goal per game this season, which in theory is like a great scoring record. Like if Messi had that, you'd be like, oh, it's a great record. But when your team scored 100 goals basically in, in 20 games or something, you need to be scoring more than one per game to, get to count as having a good goal record. Tony, this is developing into a weekly sort of segment now, but once again, a story that you wrote in the paper this week has caught my eye, a guy called Fabio Blanco. Yes, uh, that's what we have uh, said in uh, sport, that Barcelona is uh, trying to sign uh, this player called Fabio Blanco, 70 years old, he's playing for the under uh, 19 with uh, Valencia. He's uh, right wing, he's been told to be the new Ferran Torres, Madrid is interested in him, also Real Sociedad, also Juventus, his uh, contract expires at the end of this season, so you don't need to pay anything for him, he's really good player, and uh, the good fact for Barcelona is that Mateo Alemán, that he has been working in Valencia several years, he knows perfectly the player, he knows perfectly the, the environment of the player and he's uh, already been uh, speaking with them and uh, we can say that Barcelona is in the pole position to sign him but it doesn't mean he's going to play in Barcelona it means that if Barcelona if Barcelona bets what they need to bet he will play for Barcelona but now Barcelona has to has to move we should clarify you say the environment of the players not in English it's like there's no easy way to translate that into English. It's like the, the people around the player. So like it might be his agent, the people that are close to him. There's not, it's not, there's not a clean translation. It's like... People sometimes use entourage. The entourage. But that sounds like ridiculous when you yeah. put that in a news article. Does, when, yeah, yeah. I, have, I think I have used it before. I don't know if I've got away with it. But yeah, it's difficult to say. Sorry then for our listeners. I wanted to say the, the environment. I wanted to say what, what you said, Rick. The, the family, well, the agents. I, I don't have to say that. And there's no one word to describe it. I, I go with environment. Why not? It's a bit like, uh, like Barca's like, sporting department and all the various roles they have for people like are hard to translate into to English as well. The technical secretary. Like, how, how on earth do you say that in English? Doesn't sound good in English. We don't have we don't have the, the the language for it yet. Germans could probably create good words. They're good at creating words. <laughs> I think it's a, it, it's a word that we use when we don't want to say who said that entorno in Spanish. Like okay, we don't want to be concrete. Yeah. What's the plan with with Blanco? Would it be for the Juvenil A? Would for for Barca B? Well, this is this is the the question. Uh, I think he's going to sign for the club uh, which offers him a better option to 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 keep developing. I think if he signs for Barcelona, he will he would play on the Barcelona B on the on the second squad and he would be training with the first squad. That's that's not information. That's what I think it's the minimum that uh, he needs to be offered because we don't have to forget that there are other clubs that they have offered him to be part of the first squad. 
So you need to compete with these kind of offers. Just on some transfer stuff, we'll keep it short this week because we've done some big transfer Q&As this, this last week. And I was trying to ignore these two names, but they're, they're, they're big names that have come out today. The first one was a big story in sport today that Barca are optimistic that they can sign Erling Haaland. Um, maybe we can just keep it short by saying, you know, zero to 10, 10 being really likely. And then we move on and each week we can rotate and then we can see where, where we are in a few weeks. So zero to 10. How optimistic are you, Tony? Not Barca, you personally, that Barca will sign Haaland this summer? From nil to ten, how optimistic am I? I would say three. And Rick? Yeah, I was going to say four, so not, not too different to Tony there. Yeah, they're, they're good numbers. I'll go, I'll go this summer. I'll go, I'll go four. So 3.75 average. We'll just move on. I mean, I wasn't going to mention this guy because last time we spoke about him, Tony sort of had a breakdown. But it's just, it's just <laughs> come out this evening that Sergio Aguero is leaving Manchester City. Manchester City and Sergio Aguero have confirmed that he won't extend his contract beyond the end of the season and he is free to find a new club. Tony, he's the perfect signing for Barcelona, as you said a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? Yes, of course. Young player uh, <laughs> with a physical status perfect. He has played 900 <laughs> games this year. He's not uh, the whole day on Twitch and playing games. <laughs> My God. So it's My a- God. So if, we, if we're on like X Factor or The Voice now, Tony, it's a no from you. <laughs> He's a former player. I, I said on another podcast and I keep it. If Barcelona signs Aguero, it will be the biggest mistake as, uh, as, other, as other mistakes that they have done uh, last year. Rick, if Barca can't sign a Haaland or, or a good number nine, would you take Aguero on a short-term deal? Would that be a good deal for Barca to solve their, their striking issues? I think in my devil's advocate kind of way, and to wind up Tony, I'd say... Aguero, one season deal at Barca, it might be a disaster if he's injured the whole time. But like I said on the other pod when we talked about it, pairs you play, pairs you score, could be an interesting interesting option. Tony's blacked out his screen, he's gone. <laughs> but like, I don't know. Yeah, it's not it's not it's not a sensible, sensible signing, I know that's true. Although I also wonder whether if Aguero leaving City for sure now, when we thought it was gonna happen, but maybe that should bring down the, the Haaland number. Down, down towards Tony's three because that is a perfect Haaland-sized hole at Man City. Okay, also on Monday, the shake-up behind the scenes is beginning at Barcelona. Joanne Laporte has started to wield the axe a little bit. First out the door, uh, Albert Soler and Ramon Gomez-Ponti. Soler, the head of professional sports, but not football, a role he sort of left a few years ago. I think it was to do with comments related to the Neymar and Neymar money, was it? And Gomez Ponti, the head of legal service, obviously caught up in the Barcagate scandal and one of the four men arrested last month. They've all been, they've all been moved on by, by Laporta. The club confirmed to me today that you know, ne- neither of those two are working at the club anymore. I don't think it's particularly big news or unexpected news, is it? No, but there is an interesting anecdote about Albert Soler, which we haven't told because, you know, whatever, he was still at the club and it was best not to, but I think we can tell it now. I think. Sam was caught in the eye of the storm, actually, so maybe he should tell it. No, no, there was a Soler story a few years ago. I think it was, if I'm not wrong, when Luis Enrique had announced he was stepping down and I was working for a company. I won't name the company. Um, <laughs> and we, the, the story was just these are the four men who, uh, you know, meet the four men who are in charge of appointing Luis Enrique's successor or whatever. And it was Soler was one of the four men. I won't name the other three. It's, I mean, obviously, Bartomeu was one. And then the sporting director at the time and one of the vice presidents. And um, I think I just, I didn't do the story, but I did the tweet and I just said, uh, 
would you trust these four men or do you trust these four men to to pick the the next Barcelona boss? And Soler, yeah, Soler phoned up and and complained about the tweet. He wasn't happy about it. He said it was disrespectful or something and the company sort of panicked a little bit. But um, It shows the level of insecurity that him and that board at the time were operating at to have to get so worried about just a reasonably jovial tweet in English and not even in Catalan or Spanish. Like, I don't know, just weak, weak from him. Yeah. So that was Soler. Now Soler's gone and I'm still here podcasting, <laughs> so. <laughs> Sam won Soler now. Uh, and also, this is one that I've not had to, I've not had confirmed personally, but all seems to be happening, confirmed by Albert Auger on, on Sport earlier today, that Patrick Kluivert won't continue as head of the academy either for, for academy fans and he'll be replaced by Alex Anko. Uh, good decision, Tony? Well, uh, I don't know. It's difficult to say if it's a good or not decision. What ye, what is true is that Patrick uh, Kluivert uh, has had, uh, I would say, different uh, ways of thinking than people that have been working for La Masia for lots of years. So uh, I won't say it's been a mistake uh, counting on Kluivert on this uh, position, but I think he's not the best man to be there. So for me, if I have to choose good decision or bad decision, I would pick good decision to move and uh, betting for uh, Alexanko instead of Clifford. Yeah, I think it's the right decision. I think some things that Clifford have done have not been the best. You know, he made some comments as well and stuff about, you know, Ricky Pujanansu, about players going out on loan and little things like that, which which weren't, even if he thought them, which weren't best to, to make in public. But it should also be recognised if you think about how many players have left Barca in, in recent years. No big players have really escaped. He's managed to sort of, whether it's his work or the work of, you know, like the people below him or the other guys working in the academy. But guys like Ilyash and Gavi have been tied down to, to deals and stayed at the club. So I guess that's to, to his merit to to an extent. So he's not been a complete disaster. But yeah, it seems like the the best move for, for the club to, to look elsewhere. There is a certain prestige to having, you know, a name like Cliver as a top of your youth academy. So it's an interesting one. I, th- I, I wonder if maybe it would be better to keep him, or maybe they will later keep him in another role of the club or keep him as like, you know, an ambassador or whatever, keep him linked. And it's a very good point that, you know, there was a period where Barca were just losing good, good young players all the time. And like you said, they haven't really. And now they've got the best crop of young players coming through for quite a while. So it's, it certainly looks good on his CV, if, if nothing else. And just to finish this week with injury news, because the international break has allowed us to check in on Felipe Coutinho and Ansu Fati, and the news has not been good for either of them. Uh, I'm sure each player will be met with different reactions, but it looks unlikely that we're going to see them again this season, really, both sort of requiring more more treatment, more potentially more more surgery. Felipe Coutinho was in was in Qatar last week for a second opinion. The club have just announced on Monday that he's now in Brazil for, for further evaluations on the meniscus injury and, and more treatment. Tony, do you think we'll see Coutinho in a Barca shirt again? Uh, definitely not. I'm uh, 100% convinced that he's not going to wear Barcelona's t-shirt again. Apart from that, you have to be aware of the fact that if he plays 100 uh, games, I think now he's on 90 or 91, Barcelona needs to pay extra 20 million. So I think he will be sold uh, this year, uh, this summer. Maybe it will be like a free transfer or something like that. But I think he's not going to be here next year. I can already get writing. I'm sure I'm going to have to write a piece for whoever about someone about uh, 
the absolute disaster Felipe Coutinho's signing has been for Barcelona if he's going to leave this summer for nothing and he's the, the club's most expensive player in history and what the second most expensive player of all time I guess in, in world football it's absolutely insane it's insane and I agree with Tony I can't see him playing for the club again unless the one scenario where, where I can see it happening is, is the club think we can't sell him we can't let him go for nothing this summer and he's just still at Barca next season and, it, and you know and he gets fit and Coman's like well, all right, all right we'll, we'll try him again but that's the only only way I can really see it or if they play him to get him fit to sell in the winter window if they can't sell him in the summer yeah it was one of the questions we answered last week and it's really difficult the problem is not just selling him it's where where to sell him who would take him who would pay his wages who would pay a fee and that's obviously a difficult one the the other side of the injury nightmare is is Ansu Fati and with each sort of setback you really really feel for him and you, you worry a little bit don't you Rick just because I mean he's young but you know we've seen players at that age or a little bit older really sort of you know struggle to to come back and and be the player they they were or the player they were destined to be after after such a serious injury the, yeah and the worry is that I mean he's young and it's it's not healing quickly normally your your injuries heal quicker when you're younger and you know they get harder and harder to manage as you get older so that's a bad sign and Ultimately, I think I think you said it before in another podcast. Just you know, there's no need to rush him. Just let him take however long he needs to take because his whole career is ahead of him. It's it's not like it's you know Messi or someone, and you need to squeeze out the last couple of years of his career as many games as you can to to say goodbye to him. It's it's Ansu who's got a decade at least at the top ahead of him if he gets back fit and if he continues the way he was. And I can't, I'm not going to speculate as to whether he's going to come back better or worse or anything because it's, it's impossible to know. That's, what, that's how injuries are. Same with Tony and his ankle. Who knows whether he'll be back at his best when he comes back from this motorbike injury. Tony, who will be back playing football sooner, you or Ansu? Uh, well, uh, I hope that uh, Ansu will be back uh, soon. But uh, apart from making jokes, I think that, okay, yes, he's uh, young and he will be recovered uh, from that. But... I think it's getting worse and worse and we don't have to forget that there are many players that uh, because of his need they couldn't uh, have the career that they were they were going to have so I think it's going it's starting to be uh, something worrying on on Ansu Fati's uh, injury so I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't say that he will be uh, he will be back at uh, 100% and I wouldn't say he will be uh, the same player that than he was before of uh, this injury. So I think it's a really, really big, big, big problem, uh, not only for Barcelona, but for a young player that he was decided to do big things on, on, on football. But now, I, I don't know. One thing we can say in Ansu's favour is, you know, I mean, a completely different injury, but he, was, he, he missed the season when he was younger. So mentally, he's sort of, he's been in this situation before you know what it takes to come back to miss a lot of football but yeah how the knee recovers I mean I've I've read I think it was on sport actually an article by Jordi Carne who spoke to a top physio that you know this is something that Ansu will perhaps have to manage for the rest of his career in terms of managing the load specific training to ensure that you know he doesn't have further problems with the knee or that it doesn't doesn't hold him back but I'm going to end it there anyway because it's late on Monday and I'm off on Tuesday I'm going up to Garocha in the north of Catalonia, doing my bit for the Catalan Tourism Board. So um, we're going to call it a day there. Rick, Tony, any big plans for this week? Well, Tony, you're just going to be resting your ankle. Rice, Tony. Rest, ice, 
Something beginning with C, compression and elevation. That's what you need. Keep the ankle up in the air. Resting I'll be on my nursing ankle. Tony. And I, I let I let you to do brilliant, brilliant plans, freak. You you will have fun for me. 